0: So Brian, here's here, we'll start with this. First of all, uh, thank you for being here. Um, and still to this day, uh, William is a very important figure in this household. Um, you know, and I think that the the essence of of, of William has has uh, just sort of captured uh, the creative spirit of this house in certain <laughs> ways. You can take that for good or bad. Uh, but we we thank you for your uh creation.
1: Well, thank you. I think William is uh, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, we can't have Christmas without William. Really,
1: now, it's. Uh... I mean, I've thought about a Christmas, uh, a William Christmas thing, but I don't know. Might need some more time to percolate on that. But I do love Christmas. Very good. Loves Christmas movies, and since he is. You know, he is a. It's weird for me to say this like he's beloved, but like when I meet people who then discover that I made that film and they've seen it, whether it was on Altar or they saw it on, you know, somewhere else like Arrow or whatever, or they saw it at a festival or Eye Slicer, they're always, they always like perk up to life. And I mean, that's a gift to me for like a filmmaker to make something that makes that kind of impression on people, you know? And it's, it's, but it's just funny because of what it is. You know? It's yeah. like, what's the one that connected with people? Um, so go figure.
2: Yeah. We, we've really got two new ones on the new Mount Rushmore of horror icons. <laughs> they removed Leatherface and Michael Myers it, to make room for Art the Clown and William.
1: Oh, well, Congratulations. God. Wow. That, that would be an interesting, uh, painting to see but, <laughs> oh boy well i
2: mean yeah, it, I is it,
1: your dog know. playing poker i mean i don't know if uh william will ever dethrone icons like Myers and leatherface but cool. i appreciate that
2: no no it's not about dethroning he it's, could take out a ghoulie or two <laughs> <laughs> he could yeah
1: yeah, or a monkey or, yeah.
2: see we're, we're living in the internet era though so it's not about dethroning or like there's there's infinite room it's just like, what will the culture care about? Mm-hmm. And we see it all the time, dude. There are huge movies with a lot of money put into them or video games. And people forgot about them after a month. Mm-hmm. So the fact that like William lives on, I feel like, dude, congratulations. It's really hard to do now.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I said, thank you. Uh, that's... Uh... It It's really humbling for somebody like me, like been doing this since 2005, you know, I wanted to make films forever and went to school and did it and, you know, to like try and try again, making different short films. And then there was sort of like a one, two punch that people really resonated with, um, Crohan and, and William. And that was film number nine and number 10 mm-hmm. in my career, quote unquote career. And the newest one I did is now film number 17. So ever since William, there's been like seven other things that I've done. So, but it, I, I feel that's true with like filmmakers of, of all types. I mean, you look at other film, I'm using Jonathan Demme just as an example, but like he had a quite a build up, and then some people feel his apex is Silence of the Lambs, you know, and then Philadelphia is good. And then, the stuff after that, people don't talk about it as much, but I mean, Silence of the Lambs is a a masterpiece, you know? Well, and you got, you know, Stop Making Sense in there, too. Yeah, exactly. And that was before. Yeah. I think he did, like, Stop Making Sense, uh, Something Wild, Married to the Mob, yeah. and then um, Silence of the Lambs, I think. There might have been something before Silence of the Lambs, and then after that was Philadelphia. So
0: and then we start to slide down to Rachel gets married
1: and right, truth about Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> and they did a bunch of documentaries. But I don't know. He's an interesting kind of guy yep, sure. and all kinds of strange things. Well that yeah, but that's that's good. That's a career, right? You know? Yep. There has yep. to be
0: whoever is judging, highs and lows. Do you know what I mean? And uh because that's showing, you know, taking taking chances, doing things. And uh
1: that's that's all it was all about me. I I like taking chances. I still like doing that, you know. Um for like sort of building up my career, I had the mindset of like what can I make that I think people would like? And uh funny enough the the movie, the first movie I did that we just did as a joke to be like this is stupid, let's do this was Crowhan and that's the one that like got into South by Southwest and that really like Enabled William to happen um, So yeah, I just sort of threw that thought process out the window as a filmmaker. But you know what's always tricky as a filmmaker too is when you have like a hit, you want to either like you know you feel like you have to keep doing those kinds of things mm-hmm. in order to relevant or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been hard because lots of people are always asking me like, when's the next William thing, when are you going to yeah. do you gonna feature you know which is. Incredibly flattering, of course, but I don't want to do it just because I want it to be like the right kind of thing or maybe I want to tell a different kind of story or do a kind of a different kind of thing.
0: Well, sure. And, you know, I think that's great that, you know, you're able to approach that with that, you know, artistic, creative and also, you know, maybe, you know, financial discretion uh between those things because you know some people man like they see it and they just they see that opportunity and they're like okay well I'm a William guy there but yeah. you you know you're you are you want to build and you know you want to explore and you know by putting you in a corner with the William thing dude I'd, I'd be the same way man because yeah. it's like if you're going to create take chances
1: do different yeah. things I I would worry if I just kept doing William things the audience would develop I don't know, a kind of stamina to uh, what William has to offer in his skill set. And maybe it's not quite as enjoyable as people once, if you know where we're getting at with this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, but all right. How about this? How about, I'm
0: not saying like we can guarantee a sit down.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but Theoretically, we get you, Jason Bloom in a room. We talk numbers and figures. You sell William. I mean,
1: that could be that. That could be
0: cool.
2: No, <laughs> Bloomhouse would fuck <laughs> that shit up.
0: Yeah, but he's getting no, no,
2: money. No. He, no, he he's a fan of real art
1: and holiday sure. horror. I'm he's sure, also a fan of paying his mortgage.
2: <laughs> I'm sure you watched the uh, Cartoon Network
1: Yule Log. Yes, I did. I yes, uh, uh, Chris. I know him as Chris, but everybody calls him Casper Kelly. Yeah, he's a he's a friend of mine. So, uh, it was, it's cool to see him make something so iconic, like too many cooks. And then the final deployment was, was a a nice follow-up, but you know, he has, he has two like major contributions to pop culture, which is too many cooks and cheddar goblin. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's got his opportunity to, to do a feature. So it's, it's exciting for him. I'm, I'm excited that he's getting a lot of write-up.
2: Well, Uh, I don't know. I feel like your sense of humor and creativity kind of fits right in with that. I'm surprised you're not part of that team. Or even you want to crossover, bring Cheddar Goblin into the William verse. Uh, yeah.
1: People have talked <laughs> about that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right? I mean, it feels made for it. But I also yeah. sense that you're kind of like worried you might be living in the shadow of William here.
1: Oh, uh, well, sometimes, you know. Um, is that the know. biopic of Brian? We <laughs> <laughs> <Making> a mockumentary.
2: <laughs> it ends with your tombstone being branded with a Gwilliam stamp.
1: I do wonder, you know, years from now, if my obituary in some paper is going to be William filmmaker, you know, Brian Lenano flipped <laughs> his Corvette or something.
2: Well, you know, it's funny. We're, we're talking to you because you have a, a new short. That you're touring, and uh, it just happened to line up with the holidays. But I feel like now I, I know it might be jumping ahead here, but you're short, which is a half hour long, and you open it's
1: up 15 minutes long. Yeah, it's 15 minutes. Did 15 you watch? That was a half hour. No, what no, it's 15 minutes long. Oh, dude. Okay. Gosh, I hope it didn't feel like a half
2: hour. No, it didn't. <laughs> Actually, that was one of the things I was gonna say. Was like, dude, it's very
0: breezy. <laughs> That helps, I think.
1: Well,
2: no, here's the thing. For a
0: 15-minute film that I thought was 30, it feels like 15. (laughs) Dude, it's funny. Put that Uh, on the poster.
2: No, what I was going to say is that, you know, the conversation we're having, It honestly, the next step felt like, well, you know how you make William a regular thing is you turn him into a content creator, and you make him do Let's Plays, or you make him review stuff, because there is no... Like, like people on social media just have an endurance for anything and they'll identify with a character and just, you know, they'll come back. I mean, look at all the horror icons being like revived, like Joe Bob. I feel like content has to do with that. Or like, even Elvira had a resurgence. She was showing up at all the drag shows and stuff. Yeah. And it's funny because you're short, it kind of is taking the piss out of all that. And, you know, I, I'm just like, I think if people sit and, Really take to heart what's going on in your short, which uh, you open up talking about Tetsuo Iron Man, which is uh, fantastic and very telling of the kind of filmmaker you are. But I felt like the message in your short was instead of doing the same thing all the time, why don't you gain influence from art and make your own thing? Exactly. And I feel like if people understood that, they would be like, well, no, fuck you. (laughs) Because
1: that's hard. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And maybe it, it could be a potential obstacle for the film to uh, reach <laughs> audiences. You know, some people might like, might see it and they're like, this is hitting too close to home Yeah. or I don't like this because it's calling out like something I'm doing. That's I'm, I'm able to make money off of, you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's interesting, but it all kind of stemmed from, the just common people on Twitter calling stuff content. Yeah. That really bothers me uh, when filmmakers call their own stuff content. Like I'm looking forward to making more content. Like, no, you make (laughs) film. you (laughs) You don't make content. You know, I feel like content is a corporate word. Yeah. And it's fine, and it belongs in board meetings by people who are not creative. But when it trickles down into everyday language by, by people you know like us or people who just enjoy watching films and TV, and they start calling it t- content. I saw a, like a, a Twitter post today about oh, it was something about um, the Venture Brothers posting like Christmas carol songs on YouTube today. And somebody wrote in the comments, I'm looking forward to more venture content. <laughs> and that really, like, I literally let out like a, oh, <laughs> I really read that, you know, because it's, you know, you know, Doc Hammer and Jackson Public don't want to hear their stuff being called content by like their fans. You know, yeah. I don't think, you know, because they're working really hard. They work so hard to make those episodes as funny as they are that's why they take they took so long to make you know they're putting that much care into it and then for somebody to just call it content <laughs> you know so, I would, dude that, that's taken the, the the wind out of their sails you know
2: I uh, you know i love animation and it really only dawned on me how hard it was to write for like shows like futurama when i went out to Sketchfest out here in the bay area and i watched the live read and I'm like, holy shit, this stuff is it's really funny, like just the dialogue and everything. It's incredible writing. Like, I'm sure we watch like five movies a week that could benefit from writing like that. Okay. And it really it had to be stripped down for me to understand. And I think that's the problem with branding everything content, too. It's like it, when it when it becomes content, it becomes like unspecial like it doesn't matter anymore and it's more quantity over quality. Are you saying you become content? Oh god. <laughs> well, it's just like, you know, uh I Brian does a great job with the visual metaphor in his short of sure. like eating gruel where it's like just eat it. Like it's here, just consume it and move on. Yeah. And it's funny, I was talking to uh to our buddy Terrell, whom life you changed with William when he ex- tried to show his boyfriend the video. <laughs> but uh I was talking to him about like why we like slipcovers as like Blu-ray collectors. And Mm -hmm. we know people who shred them, they get them and they tear them up. And it's like one that's crazy. You could throw that on eBay and make money or give them to me. I'll hoard them. But I'm like, dude, you realize we hold on to every shred of everything from these dumb movies. Like, and I mean, dumb movies. I'm not talking about ones I love. I'm talking about, you know, like what, what did I just talk about? A silent night, deadly night five. Yeah. Straight to video. Like, dude, if you found an advertisement from Blockbuster for that thing, you could probably make some money off of it now. Yeah. And the, the thing was, because there wasn't really anything for it. And it was special to have a flyer or a uh, carousel like the gate two, like that thing goes for hundreds of dollars now. But in the world of content, dude, we make swag for the film fest and people are kind of like, oh, cool. And then toss it. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that culture has really changed all the way through.
1: Yeah, there's definitely um, a more disposable mindset with like watching stuff. And um, I know like people like us love the tangibility of like physical media or slipcovers. Personally, I love tote bags from film festivals oh. as well. And then I'll hold on to the most random I love like fast food tie-ins to movies like the Flintstone glass mugs. And mm. I have like, a m uh, that movie, Michael with John Travolta. I have like a big, like plastic, like with a, with a, with a handle on it, like a big mug that you can put like Coke or water. I used to drink out of it every day. I, I used to tell <laughs> my wife. I drank five Michaels of water today, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's those things like that, uh, People aren't as, you know, interested in anymore. I think that why why own it. Like, why have a copy of it? I can just stream it anytime I want. And that, again, that also plays into the movie. You know, there's a scene where he's, where the filmmaker character of me is replaced by a new and improved person. And he's got the stereotypical, like, wall of Blu-rays behind him. And originally, when he goes into the next scene, Um, He was just going to get up from that set and walk away. And like last minute, I was like, no, let's put a green screen behind him because he doesn't even own these things. It's just the idea that he owns them. And it's not something that's overtly obvious in the movie, but the jumpsuit that he's in in the third part of the film, we sewed up all the pockets so he can't physically hold or possess anything. (laughs)
2: Dude, it's that's a harsh reality you've created in that short. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's true. <laughs> it is it. You know, but that's like that's like um, uh, documentary one hundred and one. Like none of everything is manipulation, and it's all just what it looks like. Like the whole it. It comes down to that um, experiment where you put somebody in a a white gown, and then people treat them like an authority. Just based on that, their uniform alone.
0: Right. You think I wear one to work oh every
2: day? <laughs> no, but he's, he's totally right. The whole content thing just takes it like removes the power of all of it. And, it, you know, when we're talking about like your Michael mug. Dude, have you. So I'm guessing you still go to the movie theaters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, will you be watching Avatar 2? I will. <laughs> okay. Are you all going to yell at him? No, because he's nice. Oh, You're an asshole. I bought a 4DX ticket for Wednesday at a Regal Cinema, and they griefed the fuck out of me on this show. Look, yeah. I can buy
3: it. I <laughs> would you get the uh, popcorn bucket and the, uh, the, the mug. Yeah, absolutely. I would I
1: definitely, if I could, you know, because, like, I pine for the days for the popcorn buckets that have, like, United Artists Theaters on it. Oh, yeah. So I was like, I, I just want that bucket, you know? So, I could just put pencils in it or something like just to have the bucket. And I know they used to have for the longest time, speaking of James Cameron, those Titanic buckets. Oh, yeah. You know, th- those were around like well after Titanic was out of theaters because <laughs> they just bought so many of those buckets. Um, but no, I mean, you know, I'm not, I didn't, I don't think like Avatar is like the best thing in the world. I saw it once in the IMAX 3D because mm. I was like, that's the way the movie's intended to be seen. So I'm going to see it the way he intended to see it. And the same, it goes for <clears throat> Avatar, the way of water. <laughs> I would go and see it the way James Cameron intended it. And I did that with um, Gemini Man. I actually awesome. found a theater oh, in Georgia it wasn't doing 4k 120 frames per second and 3d but it was doing 2k 120 frames per second in 3d am i a champion of high frame rate absolutely not mm-hmm. it's atrocious but this is the way angli shot it and this is the way i want to see it um and i actually wouldn't mind if there was like one movie a year that was high frame rate you know cuz it's the same as like it's the same as like Oh, there's going to be a 70 millimeter print of licorice pizza. I want to see that. Yeah. There's going to be one of Babylon. I just found out today. I was, I did like a Twitter post that like nobody responded to. <laughs> <laughs> like well, maybe those people aren't seeing it. Cause I don't post every like a few yeah. hours, but I asked everyone out there. I was like, is there going to be any like 70 millimeter engagements this year for the holiday season? Like is avatar going to be released in high frame rate? So I got an email today from a theater in New York that they're doing a 70 millimeter uh, print of Babylon. So I was like, "Well, that's got to that's going to tour. That has to play at other theaters. Then that can do 70 millimeters. So that's good to know." Shit.
0: <laughs> how
1: how how are you? Uh, what's your expectations for Babylon? I heard it's a hot mess. So that's what I'm going in yep. expecting. Because you gotta love when directors. You know, they get some clout, and mm-hmm. or they win an Oscar, and then they get carte blanche, or a nomination. They get carte blanche, and then you get movies like Heaven's Gate, like Zardoz, yep. like Babylon, uh, maybe, you know? So I love the hot mess from the director that swings way out there. Because it looks like a lot of money,
0: and yeah. Eric Roberts.
1: Yeah, and I I definitely approve those kinds of risks and, you know, to make a outlandish movie like that with that much money, because you don't know if that'll happen again. Sure. And they probably don't know it either. Cause this industry is so like run by like very talented people who are deathly afraid that they'll never get it again.
0: <laughs> yeah. But like you said, man, you're, you you're a film historian. So like it repeats itself and like, it we may be heading in that direction, you know, with this thing. Uh, yeah. But here, here's what I'll say about Avatar. It's good for movies. All right, I'm glad. Look, I hope it makes a billion dollars over the weekend because that means people went to the movies to go to see it. I want theaters to stay alive, so yay. Yeah. Outside of that, I want nothing to do with it.
1: Of course, I, I will. See it for it. Exactly, I'll see it once, but it's not a. Pr- it, it, it probably if it is as good as avatar i will only see it once (laughs) there you go
2: but Um, see it the way james cameron wanted him to getting (laughs) squirt
1: water Yeah, (laughs) that's what i'll be doing (laughs) Um, i appreciate that this has been actually a pretty exciting year like i'm not a sports i don't do sports so my sports season opens with like when the critics start giving out their awards, like that's my sports season. So I get to like, keep up with like, Oh, what did the AFI do? And the national board of review? I've been like kind of a, a junkie for that thing for, for that stuff for years. So yeah. the gamut of films this year is pretty exciting. Like when you have like Top Gun Maverick winning top awards for things and you're having, um, everything everywhere all at once winning things and then avatar and then tar and RRR. <laughs> it's in a very exciting year for like all kinds of movies, you know, cause like obviously top gun again, not groundbreaking storytelling, but incredibly exciting filmmaking. Yeah. And he is like our last hope for movie star. I think there's no there's like Buster Keaton, Jackie Chan, <laughs> <Paul> <laughs> Bruce. And, um, Everything everywhere all at once is like, was a, was a big hit for like a, a generation. You know, I feel like it really resonates with like millennials, generation Z <clears throat> and then you have tar, which is my favorite film of the year. Love tar. Yeah. I saw it five times. My man. man.
0: All right, I'm gonna watch it now. What?
1: It, well, it's <laughs> uh, all. I needed Brian it's to tell
2: now.
1: me. It's really really good. How, yeah. What What resonated with you? Well, I love classical music, so a lot okay. of that like was already speaking to me. <clears throat> and, um, you know, here's here's something ridiculous. So I watched it first with my wife. We went to like we were invited by chance to like a sneak preview of it, mm-hmm. at our festival in Atlanta. So I was like, hell yeah, we're going. And Tori went nuts for it. She was like, this is a a great film. So we watched it again at uh, another theater. We took a couple of friends. Then I bought it on iTunes, which I I never do this. I never buy the movie on iTunes. And then we showed Tori's parents. And they loved it. And then I watched it again with the screenplay open. So I was like watching the movie, looking at the screenplay, oh. finding new things to discover from his screenplay uh, that don't aren't exactly obvious in in the movie, and uh, and then I showed my brother uh, the film at work. We there was nothing going on that and day,
0: and then of- Icarus <laughs> flew
2: into the sun. Yeah. <laughs> and for people yeah. listening, it is a three hour movie.
1: Yeah, it,
0: it's well, is it three? It's like two forty, right? It's two forty. Yeah, okay, yeah. I remember that. I, you know what I'm gonna tell you right now? I'll buy it on iTunes today. <laughs> I, I, man, it was great. I just and also, Brian, I'll tell you this. I think it may be my favorite ending of the
1: year. It's it's pretty excellent. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. Well,
2: I mean, hold, hold on. No, no, we don't we don't want to go deep into Tar. I'm
1: just saying. Let's see what I
2: did there? I know. I want to get back to you saying Tom Cruise may be the last celebrity. movie star okay randy (laughs) yeah randy's
0: (laughs) in different
2: okay movie star yeah all right now i i find it interesting one because uh clearly you're very versed in like film knowledge i always think of you as the outsider art guy like i always want to know what gems you're finding out there that people aren't appreciating and I mean, well, you just talked about how much you love tar. So clearly yeah. you have taste. And I heard an argument that I haven't been able to get away from. And I, oh God, I was in front of the Balboa Theater out here in San Francisco. And I was talking to Harry Nordlinger. He does a podcast, great artist. And he was telling me he thought the last important film ever made was um, Spring Breakers. And I'm like, what do you mean by important? And he was saying culturally. And the argument I've heard that I agree with is that The Room might be the last important, like, cultural film ever. And it's just the way that culture took it and kind of vampired its DNA into everything. I also think The Room is interesting because it's a different type of appreciation. It's not great acting. It's not great writing. It's not, it's, it's very centered on appreciation of the craft. But it's kind of an in-joke. And I think that's kind of what the internet's turned all art into, is some kind of meta-text. Yeah. But so when I think of, like, the last kind of movie star,
0: I always think of Tommy Wiseau. Okay, <laughs> you're talking about counterculture, not culture. No, no, culture. Because okay, but Spring Breakers, does, no. that's not how this
2: works. But James Franco made a movie that propelled, I mean, Hollywood, it, it was forced to accept it. Spring Breakers made
0: like $9
2: million. Yeah, but I think he was more talking about outsider art where like Harmony Kareem. That's what I'm saying. It, it's culture. different. culture. Yeah, but it's different because he was talking about how people are tricked. They're like, oh, Selena Gomez, and then walked out. I'm saying the room was embraced by all culture. Randy still has been like, oh, I, I watched it partially on a tour bus three times and I hate it, but that's Randy. Brian's got a better palate and better taste
1: than Randy here. So I'm curious what you think about the room. Well, I think the room, the room is interesting because I think it's on par with like the big five midnight movies yeah. that came out in the seventies, you know, uh, Rocky Horror, El Topo, Eraserhead, Pink Flamingos, The Harder They Come, even though The Harder They Come is great. Um, I've not seen it as much as the other no. four. Yeah. And, um, maybe, uh, that one just does not, uh. I mean, it's a great film, but I don't hear people talk about The Harder They Come as much as they talk about El Topo, Pink Flamingos, um, Rocky Horror. I would say The Room is on par with Rocky Horror Picture Show as being like a a rite of passage for the theatrical going experience. You know, people go and see Rocky Horror and theaters and it's an event there's a lot of interaction and stuff like that and the room has become like that as well and the room has opened up um people trying to seek out new outsider amateur yeah you know type of filmmakers there was pandemic and i've you know, I have not seen Birdemic 3, The Sea Eagle,
2: yet. <laughs> I haven't either. I haven't either.
1: I had a chance. <laughs> I, I was not a fan of the second one. And it's very strange to say that, like, it wasn't as good as Birdemic. <laughs> you know, and that's like, Birdemic is awful. Yeah. But it's, it's way more sincere. See, the second one, I feel, is cynical. It's like he knows. Yeah. And it's not. it's not the same. So I don't know what Sea Eagle is, but I'm super excited that he like tried to make a run to qualify for the Oscars. <laughs> just to make voters watch that movie would be really funny. Awesome. Um, but then it opens up. Uh there was a huge um push for Neil Breen movies. Speaking of Neil Breen with his yep. new movie coming out. So he got a new one. Yeah, he just announced it a few days ago. Oh mama. Uh, mia it's it's uh i think it's like a follow-up to twisted pair okay aid is calling i think is is what it's called and that's one of the characters cade from twisted pair so um i think it's i think um places like agfa and vinegar syndrome and uh probably those those two i would say have really like been propping up the um the outsider stuff sometimes uh definitely uh severin as well but i feel like severin is like finding like hey look at this crazy italian movie where all these animals are on pcp um (laughs) (laughs) if you've seen wild beasts i think no no you're totally right
2: I, i just i think the room is noteworthy in the way that it kind of marked a change culturally in like there is something reverse happening there like when you watch the room you have questions that are based in reality like i don't i don't know if any hollywood movies you would ever watch like i don't know um stagecoach and be like i have to know who john ford is mm-hmm. or you know like like were that movie it you weren't digging into the lore in the film you're going backwards and you're finding more madness in reality and i feel like marvel I know I talk about this all the time. I'm sorry if you listen to this regularly. But, you know, there's that MetaTech shit where everybody was excited about Spider-Man 3, not because of what the characters were doing. It was because of the actors portraying characters in the context of whoa, they're all here together in a movie. That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Like, we're hyper aware of contracts Sony has for superhero movies. Like, I think The Room was the first touchstone of that. Where it's like movies are different now the way we look at them, and I don't know, man. I think Tommy needs some respect
0: because would we have a Guilliam without a Tommy? Sure, no, <laughs> yes, of course. But then Tommy is a unbelievable, unlikable person. Yeah, that. But that doesn't matter. It does matter. I know you can't. It wait. does matter. No, it does matter.
2: A lot of great films have
0: been made. If by you want, if you people. want the money of Americans, and you want to win them over. They got to fucking like you. You can't be this weird person, but that may be from
2: New Orleans. <laughs> like, Definitely not. Yeah. It's but, like, but I feel like your argument doesn't stand up because people do like him because he's terrible and because but, he's a vampire alien. But he's not. He's not. He's not a movie star. I, that's he's
1: interesting. Thanks. He is. Oh.
2: He th- yes. Well, people treat him. I mean, so we have a regular screening, I think it's once a month out here at the Balboa, and he comes out like every 3. Dude, you should see the way people treat him. No,
0: for sure. Yeah. Yes, but he th- again, he has curated that. He it's a small sliver. I it's know, a small sl- he's not Tom Cruise. I get it, but I I think you're, you're He's
2: not Ethan Hunt. I think you're trapped in like Uh, the past, where it's almost like arguing is PewDiePie a star. And it's like, no, but he's huge. Like, well, he's not, like, talent-driven. He's (laughs) content-driven. Exactly, but that's kind (laughs) of my point, is where, like, if Tommy Wiseau in the room is a uh, virus to art, which I don't believe, because I love outsider art, but it's, like, a problem that just spread, and it changes the way people interact with film. So I feel like he's due some historical, like, weight.
0: All right, Brian, I, think,
1: in here. I agree. I think that for better or worse, the room has made a contribution to <laughs> film history. Um, mainly because it's another icon of like cult films that people are fanatical for, you know. Yeah. Not everybody's gonna know about Christmas Evil, but everybody knows about the room, whether they've even seen it or not, you know, mm-hmm. and the fact that a James Franco directed film about the making of the room exists. And he got almost every known popular star to be in that movie, to portray people that Tommy Wiseau interacted with or who are just fans of it. Like they do all those talking heads in the beginning. So it is weird when an outsider um, can reach people like that, you know, for JJ Abrams, or James Franco or or whoever Allison Brie to know about the room to know about who Tommy Wiseau is and uh, the weird thing is like yeah he's an outsider and it's weird to start bringing that person into that world because they're the the famous people are treating him like a novelty yeah. you know? like he's like oh here's this trick you know this dog that can do tricks or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. At the moment they start to like be weird or whatever, they're like, okay, and then shove them away, you know. Because remember when um, James Franco won the Golden Globe for playing Tommy Russo, yep. and then he invited Tommy Russo to come on the stage, and Tommy Russo started talking, and he's like, nah, 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 that's enough of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's Hollywood.
0: Yes, and and, the, and that's what makes the whole thing quite beautiful. Of, like, you know, he, him finally, like, you know, getting into that world. And still, though, you, you understand that, you know, sometimes you're still not going to be able to afford the point of entry. <laughs> yeah. That no matter what you do, it's just the way it is.
1: Yeah. My brother and I, we we played this game for a little bit where we, we thought about films, like, known known films. And what if they were directed by outsiders? Like, um, I think Tommy was so like, was like, what if he directed Citizen Kane? Oh, no, it it was like Citizen Kane or something like that. And then we're like, what if Nabwana IGG directed Black Panther or something like that, you know, or a Born Identity movie, you know? And then we thought about um, Sarah Jacobson directing like Ghost World or something now you know ghost world is already made by an outsider terry zweigoff but i watched her movie um the name escapes me but it's that agfa release where it has her short and it has her feature it's like a bunch of you know vulgar kids working in a movie theater like a porno theater i think and i was like oh imagine if uh oh no it was uh sarah jacobson well, yes, doing Ghost World, but also like Sarah Jacobson directing Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah. yeah. So it was fun to like think of those types of outsider filmmakers. And, you know, what would that what would be what would it be like if they directed this movie? And I'm pretty sure Neil Bream's on that list, too. And I can't remember <laughs> what, but it was definitely going to be something like he is the savior of the world, you know, or something like, like he always is. In his
0: movies. All right, now I'll take that and we'll flip it. What if Michael Bay directed
1: Ghost World? <laughs> that's something. There would be a lot of low angles. <laughs> too many, <laughs> too many lens that's, flares. Lots of jets flying. <laughs> flying uh, Enid, you know. Oh, the the uh, the jet
0: budget has gone way up in Ghost World when uh, Bay takes over. It's Absolutely. funny.
1: It was- I I I think about every now and again when I saw that movie, The Island. Cause at first it was like, you know, whatever. And then like, there was a scene, I think where Jim Hansu gets out of this helicopter and it, and it just all of a sudden turned into a Michael Bay movie. So I was like, Oh yeah, this is a Michael Bay movie. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like ambulance? I didn't see ambulance.
0: It's fun.
1: That's what I hear. It's very long, but it's fun. That's the story of every movie this year. Every (laughs) movie. Maybe my movie's too long. I don't know.
0: 15 minutes. Um, Brian for, I, I did want to mention this at the beginning. Uh, and then we went on the, the, the William thing, but uh, how cool was it to be on Arrow?
1: Like that, that was a, that was a good deal. That's a cool merit badge. Absolutely. You know, uh, I was talking with them. Um, and they were, they were interested in like my films being on their channel because they were just starting out their, their streaming service. And uh, yes, I mean, it's like, they're like the great, they're like, up there with the criterion channel i mean it's cool to see what they program and the fact that they invited me to be on there is really really awesome
0: yeah i think they've done a great job with their streaming service Uh, and the app uh you know the app is not crap easy to use very nice and uh yeah and i i love that you know they're celebrating you know uh independent filmmakers like yourself and um yeah, they they uh, they keep this stuff pretty fresh. But yeah, they're doing a great job over there.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, it, it's it's really cool to be uh, on that channel. Absolutely. You know, it feels like, oh, I've made it. I'm on this channel, and you know, <laughs> people still don't know who I am, <laughs> which is fine. I'm not expecting them. I don't want them to either.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about the streaming service. I, I recall seeing you on there and I was like, fantastic. 'Cause that's what I want from Arrow. I, I really know their physical media. Mm-hmm. And they got a lot, dude, they've got their hand on some shit. Like, dude, they just put out um the Shaw Brothers. Another yeah. box set. Yeah. Do you, do you do you keep up with that? Are you still doing
1: physical media? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh I, I get what I can. Um, dude, it's tough. There's a I lot of that, stuff coming out. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, and I was like, I can't I can't be putting down for this or $40 for that, you know? So, but one thing I was doing was trying to pay like 12, $13 to get like Martin, all of Martin Scorsese's movies and just have those in my collection since he's like kind of the catalyst of like one of the catalysts of like wanting to make content was what he said about the Marvel movies that is still driving everybody crazy. And just, I want to just quickly sidestep because I watched that documentary senior about Robert Downey senior that's on Netflix right now. And while I was watching that, I kind of had this like thought because I've seen, you know, Putney Swope and my brother's a big fan of his work. And, um, you know, I was thinking about Robert Downey jr and his performance in iron man. And I was like, huh, is he like doing a Robert Downey senior movie in iron man? And now, he has his snark has indirectly, like, made all the Marvel movies be snarky. Is really like Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, being the son of Robert Downey Sr., who made snarky, hip, meta movies, is Robert Downey Sr. responsible for the way the Marvel movies act? You know, like, isn't it crazy? Uh. That this big octopus monster, whatever.
0: Dude, you're like, you're like going down this rabbit hole of like, who brought the Euro step to the NBA? <laughs> you know what I'm talking that's, about? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Dude, Brian, I think you're onto something, though. That
2: Snark has really become a cornerstone of yeah. Marvel. And I mean. Well, it started from
0: uh, Joey from uh, Friends. Oh, no, God. Ross. Wait, the other one. I don't watch Friends. Chandler. I don't <laughs> see Perry. That's, a, that's oh, the one. I don't God. watch that shit.
2: But snark is kind of the tool of uh, social media too, mm-hmm. like Twitter. Yeah, so that's funny. Robert Downey, I like that. I'm going to
0: endorse that. I'm giving <laughs> you credit. I'm going to echo that from now very on. Very good. Thank you. Uh, all right. Speaking of very good, uh, Brian, d- let me tell you something right now. I think this is one of you. I think this this may be my favorite short you've done. Oh really? I think so, <laughs> truly, truly, because. It just, it's, man, everything, it just, it just, it's a beautiful circle. Everything comes together. You, and, you know, we get, you know, we get the classic Lanano effects. And you go for the gusto there. And, uh, you know, I, again, I know that, you know, you're, you're, you're showing the film and we, we want to keep the, the, you know, the mystique here. But you create something. Uh, with your your character there, and you use a lot of uh, film and a lot of materials. Yeah. Um, how laborious uh, were these were these uh, machines and costumes you had to build? Well, let's see. The first,
1: um, the we shot. I would say the first like four and a half minutes a year ago in December of 2021. And the whole movie took like a year and 10 months to make from idea to completion. Yeah. And um, my friend and collaborator, co-director Blake Myers designed the costumes of which you speak uh well i'll just say this because i posted a clip on youtube there's a robot in it um and i think he was like working on a film in alabama and he was like building the robot off hours in the hotel room you know putting together the crazy robot shoes and the the helmet and stuff like that and thankfully that one didn't take too long to get the person into the costume yeah uh the other costume we shot in May, and that was the whole um, black and white sequence.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And Beautiful. Thank you. That Beautiful. Was, uh, my, the uh, editing was done by my brother, Kevin. He's the editor of the whole film, and uh, he's hugely inspired by Shinny Tsukamoto, Tetsuo the Iron Man, obviously, and Guy Madden's films, which have a lot of that editing so yeah. he really put together an incredible sequence uh for the film and one more side step this was a movie that i was like very excited to like let's let just scenes sort of happen this sort of pure cinema of music and editing and like pictures and stuff there's like two scenes that are like there are three actually that are like that and it was really nice to like let scenes kind of go for a little and indulge a bit because i'm always so like quick with, like, we got to get in and get out. So it was, like, nice to, like, indulge in some of those edited sequences. So um, that costume for the, what I'll say, the transformation scene is, uh, that took a while to put on. But <laughs> was uh, mainly because it was that first day of us shooting it, you know, maybe took, like, an hour to get him into it. Um, but thankfully, it was made in enough the the bottom half of it was like one piece okay and the yeah, the top half uh was also like a piece but there was a lot of stuff that had to get fastened on to him and then of course the stuff on his arms and his cool little hat it was a cool hat it's a cool hat um but uh but <laughs> i'm just thinking about all the shooting that was done cuz you know we did a bunch of shooting in december then we shot in april Then we shot in May, June, July, August, and September. And sometimes it was just like, we have to go out 90 minutes outside of the city, set up a green screen in someone's backyard and melt a robot. (laughs) And then some days it's like, we have to go and get a shot of some film moving or something like that. Or, you know, like my whole summer was... If I wasn't traveling for my job, I was home or, you know, doing work on the movie. A lot of Foley. It was a long process. This one was really, really tough to um, complete. I mean, we were going to complete it. We were never not going to complete it. But it was just a very slow trickle to get it finished. So and I know like there's tons of filmmakers that have to, you know, that take years to complete like a film and the film is like five minutes or 10 <laughs> minutes or, or whatever. So, but it's very satisfying to be done with it, you know, and to be like, my God, we now have a movie that's finished, you know, and it looks great. So I'm just very e- eager and excited to see it play with, uh, with audiences. But yeah, Blake Myers, Tony Akelego, they're the ones responsible for the, uh, the second costume. And then Blake designed the robot costume
0: but I think it's my I think it's you know my favorite of yours because you just feel how personal it is and how thoughtful it is because you know the whole thing is centered around you know the whole content you know narrative but also the counter to that you using you know Tetsuro Iron Man and so like you know you know that you know us you know just knowing you and and knowing your films and you know you see that spark and to in, ignite that, to, to, to fight the counter, you know, to fight the culture of what's going on with everything. Um, you just see how thoughtful it is and just how just, uh, beautiful everything looked. And, uh, it was just, uh, it was just great, man. Really,
1: really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Like everybody who worked on the film, like worked really hard on it. You know, there was stop motion that's, that's in the film and all these different like, uh, makeup effects and prosthetics and some of it is sh- a shot on actual film like super 8 and 16 we also shot on some on the iphone and then most of it was on the, the black magic camera but yeah everybody brought their a game to it all the actors and um some people were bringing in ideas and you know and it was great to really like put it all together and put out this this thing it's funny once Clark who plays new and improved uh, Brian Lanano was in the full suit at the end. He just kept charging at the robot and we were like, this looks great. We should actually, we should film this. So, so that's how the end is like, is like that, you know, it's because Clark was so excited to like charge at the robot and start, you know, pummeling him. So it was cool to like put the camera And like, let's get a few takes of this and then we'll get some coverage. So and then it became this like, oh, now we magically have a kaiju battle at the end of our movie. So that was really cool.
2: Now, I imagine there's got to be like a tug of war within you where you've put all this labor and love into this great short. And, you know, in one hand, you could throw it up on YouTube right now and get immediate reward. People would just be like, oh dude, I love it. Like immediately. But you're doing
1: the film fest route. Is there a strategy there or well? We tried a couple of the big ones that happened at the beginning of the year, but we didn't have any luck uh getting into those. Um, but my usual strategy is try the big ones, but then try the genre ones, because I feel genre film genre film fans and um filmmakers and genre festival programmers hopefully will will like it and uh will want to program it you know i'm always a little nervous about the the total running time you know because it is 15 minutes i also aim to to try festivals that have like a midnight block because it you know i feel it works for that since tetsuo is kind of a midnight movie too and i have a history of playing in midnight blocks you know it's not as raunchy as um, William uh, or BFF girls, but uh, it has those kind of like spurts of extreme gore. Uh, and it's always funny when, it, you know, the movie is like a certain way. And then as soon as like something super bloody happens, I always like laugh. I'm like, wow, that really escalated so fast in the <laughs> <laughs> in the movie. Um, and I love that scene where there's sort of like a, one, two, three of like extreme violence that happens because it's all sort of like symbolic of what happens, like what happens to each person is symbolic to making films, working in the industry and uh, stuff like that. So.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I, I, when I was watching it, I'm like, I feel like if this were my film and I had to pitch it to people, I would say remove the nostalgia from uh, psycho Gorman. And replace it with, like, a thoughtfulness to, like, film in general. And I I couldn't think of a, like, quick and easy way to, like, unveil that. But I feel like that's your end. All these Film Fest people, you're like, hey, you love Psycho Gorman, right? That was a weird one, came out of nowhere. Everybody loved it. Mm -hmm. We're, We're touching that. But instead of, like, riding the nostalgia train, there's actually something being said here. Yeah. Yeah. And a yeah. hunky boy. Yeah. <laughs> there need to be more hunky boys. Yeah, there. that's your problem, dude. Yeah. Anyway. Tiff would have brought you right in. Just get some naked dudes in there.
1: But, uh, but you know, there's sort of like a, a subtle sense of nostalgia, but it's the nostalgia of wanting to call things film again and not content, you know? Yeah. Like so. Uh, you know, there's like a line that a character says, he's like this, he's in the the dystopian sort of room and he's got the lobotomy and he's eating the paste. And he says, Hmm, this is the kind of content I need in my life right now. Like that, <laughs> that is a, that is some that is a sentence that is verbatim from Twitter from several people. <laughs> like I saw it once and I was like, Oh my God, this sounds like a pre-programmed, like, robot response or something and then i took that whole sentence and and quoted it and searched it on twitter and i found so many people saying that exact kind of thing so that's why it's in the movie because i was like oh, this is insane that the uh, people are all like it's like this weird hive mind thing for content you know like this is the kind of content i need in my life right now so so is that where like the inspiration for the movie came from because when I was watching it, I was...
2: I, well, so like, you're saying Elon
0: Musk is the reason <laughs> this movie exists? No.
2: When I was watching it, I part of me was curious. So I'm like, did Brian make this movie out of like an anger? Because it feels like it could have been propelled by it. A little bit.
1: Oh, God, I'd love it. That's fine. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I What's it's wrong better. with that? I'd like well, it more. A lot of people are always like, oh, you're so cheery. Don't be like angry like one a friend of mine was like don't be that guy yelling at clouds you know and uh, but i was you know just thinking like people work really hard on these things don't call them content you know when i used to watch like hbo and they did the whole like intro and then it would say this movie's rated r for violence adult content you know blah 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 (laughs) that's where i always thought of the word content was the contents inside a movie, you know, adult situations, whatever. Now content, it's like a cup. Like the cup is the movie. The content is the subject matter inside the movie. Now the cup is the streaming service. And inside the cup is the content, which is television shows and movies. So, And everybody's excited about the branding of the cup, you know, holding the content and the content's just swimming around, and it might as well just be gray mush, you know, at that <laughs> point. Well, I mean, when you think about the content of humans,
0: you could go into emotional, or you could go straight to shit. hmm I don't know. I feel like this, this goes right back to the conversation we had before about movie stars,
2: because movie stars were people who, you know, were doing <laughs> readings in L.A., and it was a career. But now that whole thing has shifted, Where, you know, I used PewDiePie as an example. Yeah. People think they can do it if they just get a ring light and a camera. So it's kind of shifted the whole fucking thing. And content, you know, content within a film was something like art that you would watch. Where now content is like, what content are you putting out? Yeah. Like you're a part of it now. But you you don't think we don't have new movie stars? I do, but I don't think they have the same, like, uh, gravity they used to. No,
0: I don't think we gotta, we're going to have a new Tom Cruise.
1: Well, I mean, I when it comes to, like, movie stars, I know other people have said this, so I'm kind of regurgitating what they've said. And it was, like, Quentin Tarantino, but also Anthony Mackie said it. He's like, there's people aren't going to movies to go see the new Anthony Mackie movie. They're going to see him because he's the Falcon, mm-hmm. right? And, like you forget like, Oh yeah, Chris Evans is in this movie because all you're seeing is Captain America. You know? So it's, it's, it's weird that the the person playing it is secondary to like the role they're playing, you know, it's it's weird because like, I think maybe because I'm just not thinking of other examples. I feel like Harrison Ford is the one person who is still like Harrison Ford. He's not Han Solo. He's not Indiana Jones, you know, he happens to play those people. But when you see him, it's like, oh, Harrison Ford, you know, Arnold say
2: Arnold Stallone. But again, think of all the people you just named. That's because it's the last people who cared were our generation.
0: Mm -hmm. I think you you ask my sister
2: and she doesn't give a fuck.
0: I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah. The film's dead. (laughs) (laughs) These fucking kids don't care. But They I, don't know, and they
2: don't care. There are still a couple, and honestly, with um, uh, Black Adam coming out, man, I think uh, The Rock's power level dropped a little bit. I thought I thought Dwayne Johnson was going to be one of those big names that still had the gravity. Yeah, but I mean, DC's going to DC, aren't they? But see, that's a conversation that's new, too, the whole Marvel-DC thing, because that's more meta talk.
1: It, well, let me tell you something. It's not a conversation I enjoy having. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's my one take about Marvel versus DC. I think what they did to make everything connect is cool. I don't think DC should do that. I think DC should be the complete opposite. They should be doing the one-off things like Joker, you Mm -hmm. know, have that refreshing thing. Like what if Batman was a robot? Boom, there's a movie. You know, they don't have to do that interconnecting thing.
0: Batbot? What's that? Batbot. Yeah, they're bad, but they're I'm bad path. Path. see, here's the thing. DC should stick to shoes. Am I right? Well, DC
2: and Marvel. Randy it's funny. Talking about. That's their uh, that's been their whole path in comic books, too, where Marvel's world. They all occupy one planet and DC. It was a bunch of businesses bought up by Detective Comics and then pushed together. That's why you have yeah. Superman and Shazam who are they look identical. Yeah. And you're like, what's the idea here? And the idea is we just bought Shazam. Yeah. yeah. But it you know I I like that I also the Batman robots happened where Gotham was run by a bunch of Batman robots Ooh, Bat-Bots. and it was like a dictatorship so it was like you're safe but oh. you're not free. Oh, yeah. adorable. Or you know what we really need is the Russian Superman which is something they did too. Where it's like what if he just landed
1: in Russia? Uh Brightburn? <laughs> Dude. Hey, what did you think of Brightburn? Um I didn't see it. I think the idea is oh cool. Oh my God, I Brian. I he's doing, he, I read an article said he's doing like a Superman origin. I was like, didn't you do that already with Brightburn? It, it's I, 100% Brightburn. Yeah.
2: Now, again, as somebody who's been published writing an essay about Brightburn, I am a defender for it. I think it's one of the only non superhero movies that's like playing in that world, in that genre that isn't parody. That film is mean like you're short. And mm-hmm. if you watch it, if you're just like over with the superhero shit. And I mean, even uh, what's the one that everybody loves on Amazon Prime? The boys. The boys. Even if you're like, fuck that, I don't care about any more parody, watch Brightburn because you're like, oh, this is just mean. And it's it's weird how the antagonist really has no there's nobody to go up against him. Yeah. Because it's fucking Superman.
1: Yeah. But he's
2: an adolescent and he is a brat. So it was-
1: I was interested in the
2: movie. I just didn't get a chance. Well, Brian, d- dude, watch it. You, you sold me on tar, which is a two-hour okay. and 40-minute commitment.
1: That's a
0: fair trade. That's
1: <laughs> a fair trade. That you can do Bright Bird. That's fair. Okay, I'll watch it tonight.
0: And I'm going to hold you to tar. I will.
2: You got to watch tar. was I, I, very good. I just need somebody I trust to tell me about it.
0: You're you and Randy, it
2: wasn't enough.
0: All right, well, what's it going to take for you to watch? Uh, Brian, did you see
1: Triangle of Sadness? I didn't get to. Okay. There was like so when you're trying to finish a movie, you also can't always go to the movies too. Sure. So um I had to sort of pick. It was like uh Sophie's choice. Is it tar <laughs> or is it triangle of sadness? So I went with tar, but I heard really good things about Triangle Sandness. I love that they were giving out motion sickness bags at the movie theaters. Um I actually so actually it was a good year. For barf bags at cinemas, there was two movies this year that had uh, barf bags being handed out, Terrifier yep. 2 and uh, Triangle of Sadness. So I the barf bags we made for Gwilym were just cheap, like paper bags. They didn't have the uh, wax lining, you know, so if he actually threw up,
2: <laughs> it wouldn't work. Well, here's the thing. We know the guy that designed the original uh, barf bag for art. And the thing was, uh, it was with Dead of Night Cinema. It's our buddy, Ellen Sheedy. Shout out to Uncle Frank Productions. And he, honestly, um, he's one of the guys we talked to for the Unnamed Footage Fest that gave us the idea of doing a VHS case. So if you buy a badge, we just give you like a VHS case full of like swag. Oh, that's cool. And so for Dead of Night, they're like, you know, let's not do a VHS. Um, they're like, yeah, that's that's one from year five. That's great. Yeah, he designed that too. We did a whole faux movie thing. Nice. Actually, we should send you one. Because I think you dig it. Um, but we send him one from each year. uh, I don't think we could do the first one in Oh, I know. Yeah, good for us. Check eBay Brian. (laughs) 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 So he was like, Let's do a barf bag. Like it's a brutal movie. It's a it's the tour de force of grindhouse cinema. And they just put all their shit in it. And dude. One tweet from Brazil made that thing go viral. And he was telling me he looked up online and somebody was selling it for, I think he said 300 pounds. Wow. Oof. And I'm like, why don't you just make a couple more
1: and <laughs> put them out there? Yeah. But those are, that's exciting. Like that the Terrifier 2 barf bag, like got, it was so helpful in its marketing. Oh man. I love when little things like that happen nowadays because it's so few and far between where like people are like oh my god you know people are throwing up from watching this movie and that's like great publicity for that movie and i was also really excited even though it kind of sucked for the filmmaker but the the uh, filmmaker who did the people's joker you know they had that screening at tiff the toronto fest and then warner brothers like asked them to pull it so it didn't have any future festival screenings, but yeah, certainly got a whole bunch of buzz and, you know, there wasn't any kind of buzz like that for a movie since like escape from tomorrow, that one where they secretly shot it at Disney world. So every now and again, like it's exciting when a film can generate that kind of buzz and it's like, yay for independent cinema and for underground cinema and stuff like that. So
0: another big one, uh, lucky McGee with the woman. Um, I think that was that. Yeah, at, yeah the, uh at the lobby. But it also begs the question. And either way, I don't care. It, it, for me, it doesn't matter either way, uh, whether or not you know. And again, I think you know some some of these things happen organically, and some you know you've got to do the uh, fake it up. Yeah, the um, matinee. What's my guy's name? I can't think.
2: William Castle. Oh, William, William Castle. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, guy. Okay. You gotta do the William Castle, dude. Yeah.
0: No, oh <laughs> very good. Wait, but
2: hold on. I have to I have to go back. Uh what's the people's joker? I missed that thing completely.
1: Bro. You do a movie it's a, show. It's um it was this movie that was made uh by this trans woman, Fera Drew, I think, is her name. And she made it during the pandemic with all these other filmmakers from around the world, and they shot like like I think Scott Ackerman is in it, and Tim Heidecker and David Lieberhart, and they play all these like Batman characters. It takes place in Gotham City, and it's shot with like miniatures and green screen. It's very like handmade. It looks like like an outsider film, and it got into Toronto Fantastic Fest, Beyond Fest. It had one screening at Toronto, and then Warner Brothers pulled the plug on it, so it had to they had to you know, cancel any subsequent screenings at festivals and stuff. And the movie has not been released in any kind of form yet. Um, But the filmmaker keeps saying like, we're going to get it out there. Don't worry. Um, So it was cool to, I mean, it sucks for the filmmaker. Absolutely. To have like screenings pulled and not be able to do anything with your movie yet, but a very exciting moment, you know, an independent filmmaking for a person to like be daring and do something with property that they don't belong that doesn't belong <laughs> to them and make something, you know, very unique Um uh, because I think she plays the Joker. Um, so it's, it's, it sounds really cool. I saw the trailer and uh, I'm, I'm curious. I really want to see it.
2: Odin it. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, you you are right. I feel like I should have known about this, but that's the the privilege we have of talking to Brian Lenano. I, uh, so I bring him on, Brian. So okay, before we let you go, do you have any other like deep cut outsider art things you've been sitting on that you can share with me?
1: All right, and one Christmas movie. One Christmas. Well, this year, okay. Uh, let me do the Christmas movie first because that I know it's Dial Code Santa Claus this year. Last time I was on the show, I talked about Christmas Evil,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how that movie is amazing. Um, but uh since I got another opportunity to watch uh Dial Code Santa Claus, like two days in a row, I got to I got to watch it um in a theater at my job. So I got to like experience it again. I watched it on a big screen. I think I watched I think I've seen it like four times now, like once in a paid theater, once on Blu-ray, and then two times at my, uh, my, at my job, I was able to throw it up on the theater. Um, and uh, the filmmaking is really exceptional. Like, it's a French sort of thriller that's a cross between Die Hard and Home Alone. And it came out the year before Home Alone. So I know the filmmaker tried to sue the producers of Home Alone to be like, you stole my idea. And I know that Kathleen Kennedy and Steven Spielberg saw Dial Code Santa Claus and gave him a job directing young Indiana Jones episodes. Um, because they were like, we got to show this to George Lucas. So the filmmaking in the, in, in Dial Code Santa Claus is really, really good. It has a random song, a Christmas song by Bonnie Wright, who sang Hold Now for a Hero. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, the guy who plays the Santa Claus is, after watching it like two days in a row, it was really cool to watch his performance and really think about like who is he? Cause he's not just like a, you know, garden variety psycho. I think his character is, he wants to be a child, but, and he acts like a child in, in an innocent way, but also when he doesn't get his way, he get, he throws tantrums and gets violent. Like kids can get violent. So I think like, he's not, he's like, has the mind of a child, but he's like an adult. Um, and he's, uh, he's very scary and his transformation in the movie, like, you know, in the beginning and then when he starts dressing up like Santa Claus and at the very end of the movie, he's like disgustingly monstrous looking, but how he presents himself, especially with the main character, the kid Thomas, he, uh, he sees it as a game, like they're playing a game. You know, so it's not he's not going there to like steal stuff or to murder them. He's playing a game, but obviously, like the there's an alias for the movie. Like I think it was called Deadly Games as well. So it's like, it's a deadly game that they're playing. You know, um, but yeah, so I really enjoyed uh, watching it and thinking about his performance uh, in the movie. I thought it was really, really good. And like I said, there's really just excellent filmmaking. Like whatever film stock they used, it looked great. There's like these this amazing dolly shot where there's these two toys in the foreground and then the, the main character's like in the center. Like that's a fantastic shot. Lots of great Dutch angles and lots of light pouring in with fog effects and stuff, miniatures. It's got everything.
0: See, Randy, that would have been a wonderful Christmas selection for you. <laughs>
1: Dutchie and all i do like fog in
3: movies too so i'm sold
1: me too fog for some reason just like ups the production value like the whole transformation scene in our movie was shot in a black void like in a garage and we just like threw fog up and like also had like sparklers in the foreground and it just like instantly made the film look like way better i was like i should just do this for all my films
0: Randy, real quick, speaking of Fog, what was that thing you and me saw uh, as part of SM Film Festival? It was Guy Madden thing? The
3: Green Fog. Green Fog.
0: Yeah, what was that? He made it for SFM.
3: Yeah, it was like uh, essentially a retelling of Vertigo through other movies, but then they were all like thrown through a weird like green filter. That's what it was.
1: Nice. He's awesome. My brother's a big fan of his work and he's shown me uh, shorts by him, and I've seen the Forbidden Room. I have to see a lot of his earlier work, but yeah, it all looks awesome. Like my Winnipeg, looks great. I, you know, it has me thinking like I should make movies that look like this.
0: You know? <laughs> no, enough about Guy Madden. Have you have you have you ever heard someone pronounce his name Guy Madin? I have not. Oh, I have. <laughs> that's a good line for William to deliver. That's very good. No, so. The other
2: note, I know we're moving away from dialed code, Santa, but the thing you I gotta really gotta let him go, dude. The thing I loved about that movie is that it's a film that identifies films, and when we open up, the little boy is playing a game of Rambo. Yeah, and it's one of those things that can frustrate a horror fan, is when it's like we know how to deal with fucking zombies, dude. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like it's like like the world is blind to like culture, and that film. It's one of the rare ones where they weaponize it. And it's like, no, no, this kid grew up on American movies. He's got a chance against this guy. Yeah. So, yeah, Randy, there's a lot of layers going on there. I I do think you'll have a lot of fun with that movie.
0: And that's how we officially oversell <laughs> Randy.
2: He's going to watch
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, i Well,
1: I think I read that that filmmaker um, was was way more into American cinema than he was French cinema. but the yeah. The ending is the opposite. <laughs> the, ending of the movie is very non-American.
2: Weird. That mm-hmm. reminds me of another French filmmaker who really loved American cinema and is, uh, he's not really given the historical weight that he deserves. Again, Tommy Weiss As, yeah. I was <laughs> waiting
0: for you to bring that one home. Thank you. All right. Well, Brian, again, thank you so much. Uh, the film. So, um, yeah. So what, what's, what's the plan with the film? You know, we, we've got the film festivals, but, uh, you know, when when can the fine folks of America maybe see this
1: thing? Uh, well, like I said, we submitted to several film festivals, I'll say 40 around the world. So, and probably a few more once they open for submissions. But I do wanna, I'm kinda anxiously waiting for that first acceptance. Um, so we'll see. And I've already been approached by somebody who wants to put it online. So um, I told them I definitely want to do a festival run. And they said, do that. And then when you're ready to put it online, come back to us. So oh. I've already got a contract. I just haven't signed it yet. But but yeah, so they will find a home online because that's the thing, is like the movie. Does work online, you know. You to watch it on YouTube, especially the the very ending of the movie. You know, yeah. plays like because that came from an a, a, a an irk I had watching YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> I was watching a music video, and the music video was short. It was the White Stripes fell in love with a girl because that's one of my favorite music videos, and the it had fifteen seconds left in the song, and already they just like throw up embedded like thumbnails of like their channel and like other videos. I was like, this is so obnoxious. (laughs) (laughs) So I so I thought, let's put that in our movie too. You know, like but the movie's not even done yet. And here are three reaction videos to it. (laughs) Well fuck. Brian, let's not
2: wait three years to have you back on. And honestly, I'd love to talk to you again about the the secret empire of like what uh kings of horror or v like these like youtube channels who are buying up movies it's so weird to me yeah yeah but i know i know you've worked with alters so i think you have a little bit of insight there but yeah
1: yeah it's because because they yeah they they become because then people on youtube are like oh i love all this content from you know and it's like god damn it
2: Brian, I love you, man. Thank you so much for coming back on here again.
3: You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theatre, Instagram at The Overlook Theatre, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Statt. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oxana again next time. Bye.